When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, it's episode 99, Workplace Diversity with Devontae Johnson. I'm your host, as the, as the man said in the intro, I'm Matt, that's Mike. Uh, we still need an intro written up, hopefully by episode 100, which is the next episode, which is probably just a pipe dream at this point, but hopefully I would have remembered and actually wrote a nice transitionary introduction. But if you want to support us, you can check us out on the Apple Podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening to this on. We also have that Patreon. There's only a couple of tiers, but the $3 tier will give you a shout-out in the podcast, and we'll share a link to your website in our show notes. And the most important one is just to tell your friends, share this, tell them that we're here and ready to be listened to. And if they are, they or you are ready to go a step further, you can come hang out in our Discord server, which is growing quite exponentially. And I have actually... Um, and I kind of want to have something more consistent on the discord. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this actually, Mike, uh, I just realized, but anyway, on the spot, whatever, I kind of want to have like a UX channel section where whenever I use something, I kind of want to just like blurt out in the chat, but I don't want to just have it to be one-sided. So, cause I, I, I make UI UX feedback in my head all the time. Uh, and I think it would be a, a great way to keep things like a little more active, uh, just chat wise, because obviously it's a help channel. So people are only asking for help and then, you know, going to do what they're doing. But I, I think it'd be a great thing to have like a UX chat room in there. But I the idea isn't fully fleshed out. So the reason why I mention it now is because I want you guys, the community to sort of reach out on Twitter or on Instagram or even in the Discord, of course, and tag me with an idea because I kind of want to, you know, if I use... You know, this, I mean, I have a Pepsi can in front of me. It's not the greatest example, but if I use this Pepsi can and I have like a UX experience or an idea for a product and a thing or a UI thing or whatever, I kind of want to just have a chat about it in there somewhere. So, uh, it might, it might flop. It might not happen. It might happen. It might be great. Let me know your ideas. Uh, as I said, but weekly pain point, Mike, please take it away, sir. Oh, right. Yeah, that seems like a good idea, though. Um, and I'd also like to hear from people what they want in that Discord. Uh, this isn't my weekly pain point. I'm just curious because we, we do want to make it more active because right now, like you said, it's more of a help form, but we want to have it so that it's kind of collaborative discussion, maybe learn together or something. So maybe we'll add some some educational content to it or something like that, too. So let us know. But weekly pain point for this week is that I don't really have a weekly pain point. I had a pretty good week. I uh, don't really have anything to complain about, so I don't want to complain. Uh, going on a little mini cottage vac- social distancing vacation with my wife on Friday, so that's exciting. I really have no reason to complain. So no no pain point for me this week, Matt. What about you? Uh, so my pain point this week is just reopening sync ups. So the area that we are in uh, is opening in phases uh, from obviously the COVID lockdown. Uh, so right now we're in stage something stage two or something again i don't really follow the news uh but as things uh open up and uh you know we follow the instructions from the authorities 
more and more businesses are opening up as they're allowed to. And that means we got to, we have uh, clients and stuff like that, that are kind of getting back to work. Uh, maybe are actually looking forward to, you know, they're not on hold anymore, basically. So basically just a bunch of reopening sync ups where people are ready to, ready to go. And they want to, you know, call me and say, Hey, I haven't talked to you in two, three months. You know, where are we at? What do we want to do? Et cetera, et cetera. So just, just kind of balancing the, the calls, nothing wrong with the calls. Cause I haven't had them yet, but just sort of balancing the, uh, the calls and, uh, scheduling them all and that type of thing. Uh, but this, this week, uh, we have an interview, actually. We have a guest, uh, Devante uh, Johnson. Um, so he actually wrote uh, his own intro here. So I'm just going to quote him. So this is him writing it. Um, but, quote, uh, you know, currently working for the uh, American Board of Anesthesiology. Hopefully I said that right. And also an instructor and mentor at New Camp Coding Boot Camp. Uh, formerly worked at uh, Foster Moore um, and led the United States Virgin Island Project to launch uh, their new business registry. And, uh, again, this is a quote. So, I'm working. Or is it me? It's him. Uh, is working on helping people who are just getting into tech and increasing the number um, of black people in the tech space. So, uh, it was a really great interview, actually. I think it went for over an hour. We did the web news. We did everything. We covered a bunch of different topics. And I'm just actually just going to cut right to that interview right now. And I'll probably put a cool sound effect because I like using them right now. All right, everyone. We have Devante on the line here. Um, and we'd like to uh, welcome you to the show and, uh, you know, introduce yourself. You know, what's your tech background? What are you working on now? And anything else you think that our listeners would find interesting? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, right now, I am a developer at the American Board of Anesthesiology, I'm primarily working with React, uh, C Sharp, um, just JavaScript in general. And I think I can offer up a unique kind of viewpoint because I've been a professional for uh, the last five years or so. And in, in these five years, it's kind of, I've kind of seen uh, a multiple um, work environments. So I think I've got like a a good handle on how we can improve that uh, sort of environment for uh, black people like me. Cool. Very cool. And um, I know that before, before we, um, before we uh, started the actual recording, before we started the episode, we were just talking, getting to know each other. And uh, I kind of wanted to uh, touch on one thing. So you were saying that you had uh, worked on a, uh, a project and I'll let kind of let you introduce it more or less, but you'd worked on a big project at, uh, at a company called Foster Moore. Uh, and it was a really smooth launch. Now, I actually have a couple of sub questions that I've thought of um, as you were describing that. So if you wouldn't mind kind of introducing people to, you know, th this big project that you did. And then I have a couple of follow up questions because uh, we have some project management uh, experience that are trying to get better at it as well. Mm -hmm. OK, yeah. So at Foster Moore, the project I led was the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands project. And it was basically converting their paper based uh, business registry system over to an electronic one that handled the uh, registrations, the taxes, um, the creations and just uh, just a source of gathering information for a business where you could just do it online. Um, and we led well, I led that project from start to finish. Uh, it was it went on for about a year and a half or so, and I was managing the dev team, the QA team, um, talking to the uh, business analysts, uh, managers, just a lot of moving parts that I had to manage. And it was my first time actually leading a project as well. But um, at the end of it, um, it was a successful launch. And they also said that it was one of the most successful launches in their basically 20 year history at the company. So. Um, I feel like it, it was a it was a good job, you know, in a team effort. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask is um, I know that a lot of sort of 
because you were dealing with a lot of people there, as you said, the, uh, all kinds mm-hmm. of different departments. One of the things I wanted to ask is like what Mike and I hit a lot of the time is, you know, we, we, we start a project and everyone's excited. So, you know, we're working for a client, you know, the client's excited to start it. We're excited to start it. You know, we get everything all planned out. Everything's good. And then there's always a hiccup of some sort where maybe it's a couple weeks in or maybe a couple months in, depending on project scale. And it gets to the point where one person, I don't know, the accountant or even the content manager or something just doesn't answer or starts answering late or something like that. So how do you deal with stuff like that to ensure that the launch of the product is still is still smooth? Yeah, the way I dealt with it was um, we, we worked in an open office uh, environment. So the thing was nobody was ever that far away to get an answer. Um, my, my personal approach is if I sent an email or we just needed an answer quickly, uh, I would just go directly to the person. Um, and that's something I could do only because everybody was in the office you know, at the same time for, uh, for most of the project. Uh, I think the in office kind of aspect to it really speeds that up. In most instances, you can just go directly to the person that you need to answer. If the, um, if the, if the current situation uh, requires it. And if it's, if, especially if it's urgent, you don't want to waste that time waiting on an email, wondering if they seen the email waiting on the response, you can just go and just get the answer. That, that's kind of how I, I kept things moving along um, for myself and for my team members. They they had that same freedom to go directly to the person, too. But if they could not get an answer or the answer didn't uh, work for them, then they usually came to me. And then we had a, a, a bigger discussion about it most times. Now, with that, with that being said, um, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that uh, management style relies on being in the office. So now with, you know, the COVID going on and just in general, as tech sort of expands and becomes more uh, freeform or, and more people are working from home is what I mean, remote work. Do you, are you a fan of remote work? Do you have a, a strategy to maybe get people to answer quicker or something if they're remote? Or do you think that tech and this type of thing should really be left into the office? I don't, I don't have a problem personally with remote work. I do prefer to be in the office most, most times um, because it just, it just, uh, it's just quicker to get to somebody that you need an answer from for me personally. And sometimes it doesn't have to be something urgent. Maybe you just need a team member to kind of look over something with you. It's just easier to just walk across to their cubicle or, you know, their seat or however your office is set up to just go to them as, Hey, can you look at this uh, real quick with me? Um, if it's not too much of a, of a problem. Um, so I don't, so I don't dislike working from home, but I prefer to be in office environment. But when, whenever those things come up, it's now that most people are remote and, you know, I can't just go to someone to get an answer. What I'll do is I'll go to whoever is closer to them from like a team aspect, but also maybe a little higher than them. So they can say, so I can say, Hey, um, I asked this person um, for an answer. They haven't got back to me. It's been X amount of time. Can you reach out and see what it is? Because even though we're on different teams, everybody at the job, everybody has an investment in the same project. So um, nobody wants their team to look bad. And at a certain point, um, and usually at the uh, manager level, they don't want their team to be the hold up. And there's, usually always somebody else you can go up to to kind of get back down to who you need to get in touch with. 
Yeah, and with, absolutely. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the, the weird thing is that I've, I've noticed just CCing their direct like superior has helped oh, a lot yeah. in that. Um, oh, it yeah, shouldn't like it works. shouldn't matter, but it it's just one of those things that like whenever I CC them, I immediately get a response. If I don't CC, and these are only a certain few people, sometimes like I'll have great working relationships online and remote. And that's one one thing I wanted to add is uh, remote like remote teams need to be kind of specifically tuned to be remote. You can't just take a, per, a people that like to work in an office and that's their life and they like to do it because it's still a preference thing and then put them remote and hope for the same kind of productivity without doing anything. You have to tune them, you have to prepare them and stuff like that. But there's certain remote teams that are great with communication remotely, but it's tough. And yeah, yeah. That, that CC trick has worked for me recently. Yeah, and I've also worked in, in teams. Well, it wasn't at Foster Moore, it was with another company that they are... Even though it's a tech company, they are strictly against uh, working from home for whatever reason. And I think if you don't have any of that flexibility, one, you run the risk of losing a talent that's kind of gotten used to it. And two, it's just, it, it just makes for um, it just makes for an uncomfortable environment because you feel like you're forced to be there, even if there's something you could you you absolutely need to handle that's away from the job you just need to be home for whatever reason and they don't want to be flexible with you on any point it just uh it just it just drives you away from the company really it's interesting that you mentioned that actually because i i had made a i i was having a conversation um with a colleague years ago i think it may have been someone actually in our in our uh, college program but we were making the the mention of how when you're forced to go to work, so like I used to, before I worked in tech, I used to work in an industrial bakery, so like a factory. And one mm -hmm. of the things that we hated was just, it wasn't so much like when, when you're there, you know, it's a factory, it isn't amazing. It's not like I'm having a fun time. But once you're there, you're there and you're kind of in it. But the, the struggle really was sort of getting up and going there and you're kind of forced to go there. Now, I know you can't really do remote work, um, obviously from a factory, but the point I'm trying to make is, is that, you're right. If a company doesn't let you, you know, work from home, you kind of feel like you have to, you have to be there. And it, and it, it just feels weird. It's like, I'm an adult. I have to wait for a delivery today. Why can't I just use my computer from home? You know, why am I like, no, be it, you know, be at this address, be at this office nine to five or you're, you know, you're fired or whatever. And that's all that does seem to be one of the harder points of kind of getting used to work, especially if you're used to remote work. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. It it really it, it just it just messes up the vibe of the office because then now you know um everybody's there is just there because they have to be. And really, um this what uh, I'm sorry, but what this actually leads to is um more people showing up to work sick a lot. Cause that's what that was one of the main uh points that was like, okay, if if I'm if I wake up and I'm not you know not too sick to work, but probably shouldn't be around other people, but I can't also can't work from home, so now I have to go into the office, and then you get everybody looking at you once you start sneezing or coughing, and especially now in the COVID era, if you start sneezing and coughing in the office right now, you you are you are you you are basically uh like a target at this point. Yeah, that's a that that that's an extremely good point because I know for sure I've shown up to work at various places where I like school too, you know, school and and you're just you're just like, you know, you're sneezing, you're coughing and then you know that you got somebody else sick cuz you know, you get a, you get better 
a week later, say, and then like when you're better, somebody else is starting their sickness. So you know that you're spreading it around, but you don't really have any, any choice. Uh, I know that with Mike and my college program, one of the big no-nos was, uh, you know, missing a lecture was, wasn't advised, but you could do it. But missing a lab class was really a big no-no uh, because they were so big and they were worth a lot of your grade and stuff like that. And so there were times where, like, I mean, I think Michael probably remember where there a flu went through our, um, a flu went through our uh, like program. I think there was maybe eight of us at that point, or maybe nine in our lab group, and it like ravaged that group. And one guy was so knocked out by this flu that he actually couldn't. He actually just skipped the lab, which is you know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was back then. And even the teacher was like, "Where is this guy? Like he needs mm-hmm. to be here." So um, with that being said, then um, I think I'd like. I think this is a question I'm going to ask to um, a bunch of our guests moving forward um, because it's sort of a variable point or it's a sort of a variable syndrome, if you will. So it's imposter syndrome is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so imposter syndrome can kind of happen for those that don't know you, you know, you, maybe you're learning how to code and you think like, man, like, you know, am I ready to be a coder? Like, am I a programmer or am I just a hobbyist? So you kind of have that imposter syndrome. So, I kind of want to ask all our guests sort of a general question is when do you think, when do you think you should make the jump from just being that guy that's, you know, reading, you know, reading stuff online and just sort of being a hobbyist to being like, Hey, I'm going to apply to a job. Um, for me personally, I think you should do that as soon as you feel comfortable. First of all, maybe even a little bit before you actually feel comfortable just to, just to see what's out there. But as far as more of a like a maybe like a concrete kind of time to really look for a job, uh, I would say if you can make a project from start to finish and you've got some some kind of dynamic data in there, whether you're working with an API or a database or anything of that sort, if you can make something from start to finish with dynamic data, you probably have a good chance of uh, getting a job because that's that's really like 99% of what, well, as far as front end goes anyway, and maybe you can apply the same to some back end jobs. You can, cause everything else you can learn on the job and some stuff you can only learn on the job. I know for me, uh, things like uh, GitHub branches, uh, different environments, uh, working with different teams on like one singular project. Um, all of that stuff I had to learn actually in a job. So you can't get, all of your experience just from doing tutorials or doing side projects. But if you do have a couple of side projects where you use a specific language or a specific framework and it looks, and you can make it look passable. I mean, everybody's not a UI designer, but if it looks, if it looks decent enough, you've got your API calls, correct. Um, you're writing good. You feel like you're writing some good clean code. Then I would just, I would just go out there and send out, start sending out resumes and start with jobs that you don't really want, if, if you can. And if you don't have a target job, then I would just start sending out resumes. And then you can actually see what they're asking on the job, on the interview. And then you can kind of uh, adjust your learning based on the feedback that you get from the jobs or, or just the questions that you get on the job. And I think that's the, a best, the best way to kind of uh, guide your learning path before you get that first job. And then once you get on a job, you, you know, you learn what you need for your job specifically. And depending on how much that, how much time that's going to take, then you can kind of go back and, and 
go adjust your own personal uh, learning again. So with that uh, being said, then what would you say, what would you say for, okay, so the person makes, makes their first project and you know, they're, they're happy with it. I know that the tendency these days is actually for um, is for like someone who's learning how to code to actually spin that project out to be something public. So uh, whether it be like a, a side project of some sort, a side hustle, um, there's something that they have to maintain and maybe even make money from. To me, I'm actually kind of, I've always been on the side of like, yeah, spin that up. But I'm starting to see some colleagues and stuff just get overwhelmed with, uh, you know, you know, there's, they have a job and then they have a side hustle and this, that, and the other thing. And then plus you're new and you're more than likely suffering from imposter syndrome. Where do you stand on that? Do you think that when they make that first project and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm ready to go. Should they really try to make that a side hustle? Or do you think it's more, it's better to just sort of say, Hey, this is a part of my portfolio. This is a completed project. I'm not going to touch it again. I think you shouldn't try to turn it into a side hustle unless you really got that entrepreneurial uh, mindset because uh, changing just a side project into a side hustle takes a different mentality and it's going to take a lot of energy and investing into that project to keep it current. Um, Me personally, all I did was I made a portfolio, a personal portfolio site um, and I only had three, I believe three separate projects, three completed projects that you can link to on GitHub, uh, deployed them onto, I believe, Heroku and Netlify. Um, just a, just for a way, just for somewhere that the employers can actually see what I built. And none of my, none of my side projects were, uh, were turning, were turning into hustles. They were just completed projects. Here it is. This is the code that I wrote. Um, and then I'll just keep and just keep building. Now, if you want to, after you have some of those completed projects on your profile, then kind of think about, okay, what can I have? That's like the one thing that I can turn into a side hustle. If that's the road you want to go down, I think that would be the point you want to do it because it's overwhelming trying to start a, basically start a side business and find a first job because you need some money because that's why you're looking for a job in most instances, unless you're making a career change. You need you need to get money first that can also supply or use money to you know keep up your side hustle because you have to pay for a lot of these things like hosting, um, computers, equipment, you know whatever you need. So you need something that's going to be bringing you in income now while you can focus on that future hustle. And when you mention, oh sorry, Mike, I I interrupt you every time. (laughs) It's okay, I've gotten used to it. Uh, I think one one really good point that you made was apply to any job, even the jobs that you don't want, um, because you're right. Like you don't know where you're at when you're first applying. You don't know what's going on. And then the worst thing that can happen is they'll say no. And then the other worst thing that can happen is you go to the interview and they'll say no as well, but you get that interview experience. And mm-hmm. another thing is if you go to that interview, maybe what they written, what they had written on paper was written by their HR department, which had no idea what, what they were talking about. And you actually love the job and you actually love the people there. The interviewer is great and stuff like that. So you never know until you know. And I'm always, I'm a big proponent of like apply to as many jobs as possible, even like later down the line, like maybe not everyone, but it's because like the, the people that are writing the job descriptions are usually not the people you're going to be working with. So First of all, it could happen the other way. You could see the perfect job and go into the interview and see that it's complete, you know, BS. 
And the other way is like, you can go to a job that you don't think is, is good and have the, a better experience. So I think that was a really good point. Don't be too picky right off the bat and, you know, limit your pickiness even down the line. Yeah. I think, I think never letting the job descriptions share you, never let the job description scare you is a pretty important thing because almost every job description, everything that's listed on it, you don't do for, for a good, for a good majority of them. So as long as you get like the main uh, two or three main points, if you feel like, you know, those technologies, then I would, I would apply. Cause most I've seen job listings with like, proficiency in like six or seven different languages and then you get onto the actual job or you talk to people who actually work there and they're like oh yeah no we don't really do that every day or sometimes at all it's just it's just up there because of hr so you also mentioned before too that um so obviously you need you need money and so you shouldn't be jumping into a side hustle unless you're you know dedicated to being an entrepreneur type of thing what would you say about people that are you know, ready to apply, but the application process can take a few weeks, if not a few months or even years, depending on the job market at the time. So what would you say to people that are looking at potentially, you know, applying to jobs like they want to, but in the interim doing freelancing, because that's a little bit of business side of stuff, a little bit entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, but at the same time you are, you know, kind of directly going after money. So what do you, what do you think about that? freelancing is if you've got if you've got clients already then or if you just can get some clients through a referral and they're willing to pay you and you think you can do the job then I would do it um I would always just kind of prioritize what you what you're actually uh, going for if you're going for an actual job and say like javascript something like that but you're freelancing and you're making like wordpress sites you you're not you're in the same area, but you're not actually learning anything that's going to uh, make you money in the long run. Well, I guess, I guess it could, if you go down the freelance, uh, freelance route more, but if you're looking for, you know, front end jobs, your freelancing isn't going to uh, boost that. So I think you should balance uh, your learning on the side and your job, your actual job search with your freelancing and, and now if you can freelance and this, and they're both going to directly tie into your uh, main goal of getting a job, then, then by all means, um, then do that. But if, but if it's going to distract you for any significant amount of time, you don't want to lose the things that you're just learning, you know, coming into the industry and then trying to learn new things to freelance with. And then you get a job interview that's scheduled. And now all of the stuff that you were learning for, uh, your main goal now it's a bit fuzzy because you've learned all this other new information because you got to practice you got to practice coding to really uh sink in a lot of these concepts a lot of these uh a lot of these terms so you don't want to lose the practice time by going too far into something else right that's a really good point i know that i know that mike and i actually uh and we've mentioned this on the show several times now so feel free to chime in mike but we actually, uh, I don't know whether it was imposter syndrome or whether it was just trying to be too entrepreneurial or what it was, but we, we kind of went down a weird route like that where we were like, yeah, we're just going to use, what was it? What was that? What was that one Adobe software called Mike away in the beginning? Dream. I want to say Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. That's it. We're like, oh, well, we'll just use Dreamweaver to make sites. This is way, way before we even like officially made the business. We're going to just use Dreamweaver. 
And then, you know, fast forward a bit and it's like, all right, we're not going to use Dreamweaver. You know, that, that's ridiculous. Let's use, mm-hmm. um, let's use like just pre-made components. And then we tried a bunch and some of them were broken and we're like, oh, okay, well, you know, we won't do that. We'll do WordPress and people love, you know, free projects. We'll do that. And then that didn't really work out. So then we're like, okay, well, people like Google stuff, right? So let's do a Google extension to the browser. And we were all over the place and we did Google apps and everything else, which ended up helping us in the, the Google stuff did ended up helping us in the long run. But such a, such like a, a jump around. And I, and I feel like, and we were victims of this as well, is just even running that WordPress site. Cause it was our own. It wasn't like we built it for a client. It's, it's a lot of work. Like we were doing a, a stock photo site and we had take, like, I'm just, I just kind of like messing around with the camera. Uh, I'm not a professional by any means, but I was like, oh, these are good enough to be shown off. And I have a friend that likes doing it. Let's, let's start a, a free stock photo site. People like free stuff. And we tried to play the local angle by having it about Hamilton. And then we realized like, wow, we got to go on these big, like these big photo taking like, adventures. And then every time I'm gone doing one of those, I'm not working on the regular business stuff. And then you realize, whoa, like we're way off the rails here. And it just, it, it so easily can snowball out of control. Right. Whenever you try to, especially when you're a, a small team or a small group, and then some people, they'll just be themselves. So you can't, so you have to really uh, prioritize your time. Uh, time management is going to be, uh, that, that goes beyond actual, you know, programming. That's just a general uh, life skill. You have to learn how to manage your time and really focus on what is worth the investment. Right. Exactly. Like, I think that probably, uh, maybe not a cure, but a treatment, if you will, to uh, imposter syndrome is really just honing your, like not, not, not spreading yourself too, too thin and like really honing your skills. Like you said, in a, in a direct area, like wherever your goal is, if you really want to do JS and you know, you really, you're really in a JavaScript for whatever reason, honing those skills in, in JS is just critical. Don't be running around trying to figure out WordPress unless that, unless you have like a million dollar contract on the line or something, you know, really focus on JS because, Anything else that you add, side hustle or even just portfolio project that isn't based on your goal is, a, is sooner or later going to start stressing you out and, is, and, and will always take time away from your main goal and you'll learn less in, in, in like that period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, uh, I think we'll transition on to the next topic. I know that in the beginning you wanted to talk about um, s- sort of diversity in the workplace and, you know, obviously uh, working in an office, you're meeting all kinds of uh, new people from all over the world and that type of thing. So I just kind of, kind of let you take the floor and kind of talk about, talk about diversity in the workplace and, you know, your thoughts on it and, and anything else you want to talk about regarding it. Yeah. So my current job, um, we were a small team, about a uh, five, six uh, a dev team anyway. Um, and three of us are black and this is the most, and the, this is the most, uh, black people that I've ever worked with in my five years, uh, at, at my previous job, I was, and it was a, it was a software company, um, that employed around, I want to say about 200 people in the office that I was working in. And so the software company, and I want to say at least at least um, 75 to 100 of those people were software developers working on different projects. And I was the only black guy there on the software development team. Oh, wow. um, so, and at, also at Foster Moore, where I worked there, there, the team there, I believe it was about 15 to 20 developers. And at most there was two uh, black people on the team at any given time. 
me and somebody else. Uh, one guy, he came on like in the later uh, stages of my career there. So the numbers that I've seen of actual software developers um, that I know and talk to and actually, but then the ones that I actually end up working with, they're, they're so they're so off, they're so off base from what the actual representation is. Um, well, I feel like there is, I don't know if there are people who aren't getting the opportunities or they just don't feel comfortable getting into uh, some of these spaces. Uh, well, I don't want to say they're not comfortable because we, I'm sure they feel that way, but when I say not comfortable, I've been to a lot of meetup groups that, uh, well, that used to happen before, you know, COVID kind of stopped everything. And I would, usually show up and be one of the only, you know, black people there at like a, just like a meetup group or a meetup talk um, for, for tech related things. So one of my main uh, missions I, as I was going to get into before this whole thing started was actually starting up groups just to kind of uh, get us more out there as like a collective. Cause maybe I was just going at the wrong time. Maybe there were a lot of other people there, but I live here in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and there's there's two I believe there's two HBCUs here, and I'm sure there's a lot of people there that are interested in tech and interested in programming that are graduating from these schools, but that representation isn't there in the actual workplaces as far as software developers go. So I think um, I think a better job can be done of that. I think our team that I'm working on now is, is a great example of, of a kind of mix of how it should be. Um, but I think one of the problems was, is where people are looking for uh, their, their workers now. Um, the, at the company that I worked before uh, the ABA, or the American Board of Anesthesiology, uh, all of their recruiting was done at uh, NC State. So but that and i mean that's fine they can do what they want but there like i said there's also two eight two hbcus in the same city that they can also do some recruiting to increase those diversity numbers because you don't want uh well i guess some people might want but you don't want too few perspectives on projects because i feel really i feel really uncomfortable a lot of the times a lot of the time trying to uh educate other people on you know black issues um, it's usually just just me uh that's going to feel uh certain certain things in workplace whenever you look around and you are the only person of a certain skin type there and you have to kind of uh find ways to make make new friends with a lot of people that do that don't necessarily have anything in common with you but you just have to kind of just find some way to uh, connect to them as well. But nobody's going to really understand kind of the struggle that you had to get to where you are or, or just understand that kind of a, <clears throat> that kind of cultural, uh, you know, that, that kind of culture with you. So I think it's a, I think it's a big problem in tech. And I think a lot of people now are, you know, trying to do something about it by making places more inclusive, trying to recruit, you know, more diverse people onto their teams. But for somebody like me, I want to kind of come onto different platforms and kind of increase my own platform, which is why I'm happy that y'all gave me a chance to be on this podcast here today because I want uh, more black faces out there, more black men, more black women, 
um, to to be out there. So whenever you look up a coding tutorial, the only faces that you see aren't going to be uh, only white guys or only white or only white women. I want the I want our faces to be there just as prominently. So when people look and talk about these things, they see people like them. So they know that they've made it. Now I know there's I've seen you know other people in 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 these spaces. So there's not like there's nobody black there, but we're just the just the numbers don't match up with the actual uh with the actual uh, environment. And that that's just that's just kind of what what I think about it. Now, do you think do you think that uh, there needs to be so you were, you were mentioning that one recruiter, for example, and that one recruiter could be instead of going just to the state university, the the other two. I'm not I'm not familiar. What was it, HBCU? I think you said. Yeah, well, oh, well, just HBCU. That that's not name of school. That's a historically black college or university. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I wasn't aware of the acronym. Um, but so, do you think that the main problem? Because obviously, there's like a there's a, probably thousands of just recruiting offices everywhere, as we've all seen on LinkedIn. Do you mm-hmm. think that the problem maybe lies in the recruiting? Do you think that it relies in hiring managers? Like, not that we want to accuse anyone right now, obviously, but do we, do you think that it relies at both stages? Uh, it does it rely on, you know, how many people are going to school? Uh, you know, what, what, where do you think, what part of the, the sort of hiring process do you think maybe needs the most support right now? Um, well, I think it's broken at, at a lot of places, but I think the main one is, excuse me. I think the main one is actually getting people into the door at all. Um, I think we need, I think there needs to be certain uh, times where the recruiting is targeted and directed at bringing in more black people specifically to add on to these teams, to give, to give fresh looks to the, uh, to the corporate environment and, and just, and, and just to have more of us in the industry there. Cause there's a lot of capable people out there. And some of them I know personally that uh, say how hard it is to, just get in the door, get on a resume. Cause we get, we get judged um, as soon as they see our name sometimes on the, on the resume, as soon as they come across a name that they can't necessarily, uh, or where they can make an assumption that it's uh, someone black, then a lot of times our resume just doesn't make it past the recruiter or the HR, whoever's reviewing the resumes. So it's a, it's an issue at all stages because um for me personally um you see the name Devante, and you're pretty i'm i'm pretty much assuming that they you know it this is probably uh not a white man so and and i've made i've made it onto different interviews and uh and, but that's just me and everybody doesn't have the same you know the same story they're not going to go through the same things that i went through but i think we, I think the problem, if I had to just say, you know, the main thing is just getting in the door to actually show that we can do the same thing our, uh, our white counterparts can. Is there anything that like ourselves or our audience could do to help this kind of process, even at the lowest level possible, just because it's tough for us to, you know, like we can't comprehend it, period, for the mo- like at all. So 
but we also don't want to do anything that's going to be counterproductive as well. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I get what you're saying. I think uh, at at like the lower a lower level, like you mentioned, just anybody, whenever positions come up in your actual company, uh, see, you know, referrals usually bypass all of the outside job boards, job postings online, all of that. If somebody internal in the company recommends somebody, they usually get fast tracked to the front of every line um, for whenever it comes to recruiting. They're going to look internally first or ask internally. I think if you just nominate some of your uh nominate some of your black friends in tech uh that you know might be looking for a job or if you're in school and you, you're just fre- or you're fresh out of school and you just got into a role um people that you went to school with and if you and if you don't know anybody that anybody black in tech maybe you could just start there by going out and meeting people who don't look like you so whenever these situations come up you can have someone to refer because I think once people, once people really see that there's not, there, there's, there's no, there's no difference intellectually between uh, black people, white people, you know, innately, it's just the opportunities that we get. Um, most times we shine in. Um, so I think just having people that, you know, for when these situations come up and, you know, they're going to be doing, you know, their own thing, but just recommending them, uh, letting people know how good they are at the things that they do, it, it will really help out from like, and that, and that can be anybody in the company at any level. What would you say too then? Um, I know years ago I had a conversation with a colleague. I, I can't even remember who it was, but uh, we had a conversation and we were saying that to sort of, sort of help logistically, if you will, just have all applications for everybody be completely nameless because one of the things that, that I've noticed is a bunch of the people that I've worked with, with, with digital dynasty design, like we've hired people on Fiverr, maybe other freelancers. We work with a developer consistently. I haven't met any of these people, you know, they could mm-hmm. like, I don't know what they look like. I like short of their name, whatever, but maybe one of the things that would help, and like just totally logistically, and I'll kind of get your insight on this is maybe we just need to only have the resume without like the header, if you will, because that's where your name normally is. I, I agree. I think, I think you go, you go one step further and I've, and I've seen this somewhere on Twitter and I can't remember where, but I totally agree that when you're reviewing resumes, you, you should review them with no name and no school because uh, HBCUs, like you didn't even know the acronym uh, before I got up here. Right, um, right. A lot, a lot of them, you know, they're not the most recognizable names. See, I went to Fayetteville State University, and unless you are actually in North Carolina near Fayetteville, you probably don't know what school that is. You probably never heard of it. But if you put my credentials up, you know, like I said, the things I've done with uh, previous companies, Foster Moore, the ABA, then with no kind of bias based on school or name, it's just, okay, well, this person clearly has shown achievement, then let's bring them in. And then um, just let our achievements speak for themselves. That That's a really interesting way uh, to look at it. I didn't even think about the school because 
I know that like Mike and I went to, I know Mike went on to a university as well, but like Mike and I both attended a, a college named Mohawk college out here. And, you know, you're not really, you know, you're not going to know really, you know, like what is Mohawk college and whatever. And, and, and you're right. Like kind of making the, making the resume so that you're not making any assumptions at all. Like all you're seeing is like, Oh cool. They built this web app. Oh cool. They built this. They worked on this project. They worked in this, they worked on that. There's no like, Oh, like, you know, like what, 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 what brand of like university is this? Like who, you know, where is this at? Like they don't have to Google it. It's just solely like, cool. They did this. And like, wow, we really need someone that could work on databases and stuff like that. I know that, um, I know that, uh, when when i personally um went to uh work for i mean just work just in general with with work one of the uh one of the things that i noticed too is i got most to most of my exposure um to to like diversity just with people all all over the map literally all over the world map i worked at like i said in uh uh, an industrial bakery uh, in a factory. And there were tons of people from all over the world there. Some of them immigrants themselves. Some of them were uh, just solely, you know, or just, um, what do you call it? Like gen- like generation one. So their parents were immigrants and then they were born there and they were working there as well. So it's, it's all over the world. Same with working at Blackberry, you know, tons of diversity and tons of that. And by working in those offices, you know, you get a bunch of really great experiences you get like personal experiences you know just just something as simple as going out for lunch and then taking you somewhere that you've never been before because you've never tried that type of food you know I know that's a very small thing but you know that's sort of a personal experience you have with a with a colleague but then they also uh bring in uh you know a unique perspective so maybe you know in terms of IT you're troubleshooting so much you're doing that type of thing anyone who brings a new perspective into onto the table when you're doing something complex like tech programming, obviously has troubleshooting in that, you know, it's great to have those experiences and it's great to have those people on there. And one of the things that I actually mentioned in one of my interviews uh, during one of my co-op interviews to get a, to get one of the, the placements was they said, you know, what type of team do you like to work on? And having just worked uh, at, at Blackberry on a huge team of, I, I want to say it's 12, but it might've been 20 people. I said like, you know, one of the best things that I learned when I was on the job there was, you know, I don't just want to have one, one boss or like, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, I, the second it person there, uh, you know, so there's just the boss and then me, I would prefer to have a, like a big group of people because every single time we were on like an it rotation through our buildings Every single time I went on a rotation, I learned something totally new. One guy was like a GPU expert. The other guy was like a, uh, the other guy was a, like a hard drive expert. The other guy was an encryption expert. And everyone brings their own unique flavor. And that's sort of like realistically, my skill set was, and, and anyone in that office too, like our skill sets are built upon that because everyone brings their own unique flavor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's why the, the, those same experiences that you got by meeting all those new people on, on the job, that's the experiences that you can only get, you know, when you're on a job with a diverse team. Um, so I think, I think that really just highlights the importance of having different perspectives on different, on a project, um, the, the people from different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, uh, you know, different minorities, because it, Cause you start, you start to lose, I think you start to lose some, uh, some creativity 
whenever you don't have that kind of diverse relationship in the teams. Um, just like you said, one, one, depending on their specialty, uh, you don't want to when, whenever you become, you know, a specialist at something, your, you, your experiences and your troubles that you have seen are different from somebody who specializes in something else. So, you know, together, when you talk about, you know, maybe similar issues, you can get that, oh, that's how they dealt with that. Oh, that's how they dealt with uh, this particular problem. But also the way that they handled it is also going to be based on, you know, their, you know, how they kind of view problems in general. So I, I think I think the more different perspectives that you have on the job, the better. Um, and I think we we should be given the opportunity to show that we can provide as much value as anyone else. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a good I think that's a good sort of capstone um, capstone to that topic is, you know, I think we've covered a lot there. Um, unless Mike has any other comment, I was actually going to ask the next question. Um, but I think that's like a really good wrap up to that, that, uh, that, that section there. Mike, did you have anything to add there or? No, I think everything was said. I mean, like, <laughs> there's not much I can add. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, well, um, so I think we'll kind of move on cause I know you mentioned it in, in a few, uh, a few times throughout actually. So, you know, what, what are your long-term professional goals? Um, my long-term professional goal is to be um, as recognizable in the industry as some other uh, other developers. Um, and there's people like Angie Jones, Wes Boss, uh, Scott Moss, uh, Scott Talinsky, uh Kent Dodds. There's there's a lot of names out there, um, and they're recognized because they've actually put in the work. And you know they they're giving talks, they're giving conferences, workshops, uh, kind of uh, just doing the work to be recognize they they all earn their places and they earn their visibility um so i've kind of looked at some of these people from afar uh, i've learned from quite a few of them personally um so i'm just trying to kind of get to that same kind of level of visibility and exposure um but also kind of you know keep my own kind of kind of flavor kind of style with it and just do something different but also provide but also provide value in my way um, I'm starting up a blog soon. I'm going to call it uh, uh, DJWS. It's going to stand for DJ Web Studios. And that's going to be kind of a place where, uh, you know, I'll be helping out people that I'm kind of mentoring and teaching with uh, New Camp because I get a lot of questions from new coders and they kind of have their own perspectives whenever they're seeing problems for their first time that I've kind of uh, kind of take for granted that I kind of know the answer to. So I think I'll start writing more and doing YouTube videos, kind of explaining things to kind of build my platform. And, you know, eventually, hopefully I'll be as recognizable as those people. And, and then I can say y'all were the first people who, who really gave me a, a platform to kind of start spreading my message. So that, that's kind of where, where I want to go. Awesome. And do you think, uh, do you think that, you know, you building out your platform and your audience and that, do you think that that will become your, you know, your full-time gig or are you still looking at doing these sort of larger projects, you know, maybe freelance or even just being hired by other companies like you have been? Um, I can't, I can't say for sure now cause I do love the place that I work at now. Um, uh, we build software to help doctors or anesthesiologists in particular, uh, maintain the certifications and I, I really like it, but I think I have, I think I can have time to do both. Now, 
now if now if you know people start really liking my stuff and i just blow up then hey then then i just got then i'll just have to make that choice then but until then um like i said that goes back to what i said uh way earlier you you still need to have money um to supply these sort of endeavors so whenever so whenever my endeavors can you know supply themselves i'll take a second look at maybe uh you know quitting and going that full time but for now i'm just going to just focus on doing the work to kind of get recognized and maybe whenever stuff starts picking up steam i'll 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 reevaluate i think that's uh that's the key is to be flexible so when you're at this stage when you have a bunch of options you don't want to like lock yourself down and be like no you know what i'm only going to work on my brand and myself and stuff like that and screw the money because sure. you never know. Right. So you have to, you have to go in it knowing that you have to keep both up, but you're willing to, you know, if you see one taking off, if you see your brand taking off, there's no, no, no stopping you from saying no to your job currently going fully divesting, like investing yourself to your brand. And I think that's, that's the stage we're kind of at as well. Uh, I don't know if you agree, Matt, but we're, we're in the stage, like we have HTML, all the things that's our kind of platform, uh, to talk and to teach on. And then we have our business and HTML, the things is kind of a side project still for us, uh, even though it's, it's been doing pretty well lately and our business is the main thing, but we're never in the point where we're like, we're going to hundred percent go into HTML, the things and drop our business when it's making money. Cause in the end, like we still need money to survive. Right. And, 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 what makes this kind of easier for me too is that my is that my job really empowers me to go out and do these type of things like get on podcasts uh they are very supportive of my idea to make my own meetup group um i've got a really good i've got a really good uh support system there they're very encouraging and i've never been you know restricted in the things that i wanted to do or say so that so that kind of um doesn't really motivate it's not going to keep me from doing the things that I want to do by working here. So is they, they don't, they don't try to, you know, muzzle me, so to speak at all. So it makes it easy to kind of do both. And I think that's perfect. Uh, and like just for the future, I mean, today we had kind of more of a business and diversity conversation, which was important to have. But I think in the future, if we have you on, we can have more of a technical discussion as well. Um, Cause plenty oh, that we could probably talk about. You're more into react. We're more into view. I would love to have kind of like a, you know, react versus view conversation. If there even is a, like, you know, an argument to be made, that's a whole conversation as well. Um, yeah, we can definitely do that. Yeah, exactly. So we'd love for you to come back uh, and hopefully help you build your platform because that's what we're all about too. And I, I'd love to come back. I appreciate you uh, having me on. This is my first kind of, you know, uh, big time podcast appearance for me. So <laughs> this was very, it was very nervous, very anxious, kind of getting ready for it, leading up to it. But um, I hope I, I hope I did y'all good. I hope I gave out some good information to uh, your listeners, and I will definitely help you spread your platform because I'll be telling everybody that I know when this comes out to come and listen. Awesome. Well, thank thank you very much, and and thanks for coming on. I mean, honestly. Uh, you, you can't tell we've had people on, we've had people on that were brand new as well. And you can definitely tell they're like, they're false starting and they're having issues. And you know what I mean? They're like, wait, 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 I got to restart that sentence or whatever. But like, you're, you're super smooth at it. So you're nailing it. You're, you're off to a good start for, for your YouTube video plan anyway. So <laughs> thank you.
You know, I, I mean, just kind of one last thing. Um, I, I, I'm a mentor and an instructor at a new camp, coding boot camp, and I just taught my actual first class. Uh, we teach every Saturday for about four hours. Um, and the last three weeks, uh, I had to take over for a previous instructor because um, she got she got some uh, bad reviews, so I had to take over her class. And uh, all of the students that I talked to there, they were so happy with me as well. They said they could not they could they could not tell that it was my first time actually teaching a course. And I like to think that asking or answering those questions on the spot in those kind of workshops kind of gets you prepared to kind of handle anything that gets thrown at you because the, all of those students are looking at you for answers. Um, and so it kind of, it kind of helps me, you know, prepare to kind of take things that they come. So, um, and I want to say thank you to those students as well. My first group of students, they were, they were excellent. Um, I, I love teaching and that kind of really motivates me to uh, expand on my own brand to reach more students like that. So I just want to say uh, shout out, shout out to my, my first, my first new camp uh, class. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it sounds like, it sounds like you were, you were the correct replacement for, uh, for that instructor that caught bad reviews there. So uh, it sounds <laughs> like you're doing a great job there. So, um, but, uh, so I think it's time for the web news. Now we always, uh, we typically make this, uh, optional. Like if you still have the time Devante, uh, you're welcome to stay on for the web news. It's just sort of our editorialized, if you will, sort of conversation where we just have a, take an article or take a concept and just sort of, uh, talk about it. So if you're, you're welcome to stay. Um, as well, if you have the time, because we're hitting about an hour now, which is why I mentioned it. So would you like to stay for the web news or do you need to, uh, did you need to take off? Um, no, nah, sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So um, this, this week's web news, I'll read through all the points like I always do. And then we'll just sort of, you know, chat, chat away about it. So this one, this week's web news was uh, influenced by uh, an article that I read on uh, CTV news. Now I'm not taking the whole article and dissecting it by any means. I'm just sort of paraphrasing it, but I'll, I'll include a link to the article because uh, it's purely an inspirational source uh, in the show notes as well. So this, this article uh, was covering, uh, and I'll just read the title off actually. So Canadians working from home permanently should expect salary changes and uh, colon experts. So basically what it's kind of talking about is how, you know, due to COVID and due to just industry revolutions and changes and stuff like that, some people are obviously, so I'll just take a local example. If you are a person that has an office in uh, Toronto and you commute to Toronto and Toronto is a big, massive city, so it's expensive. So in, in this area, we call the big metropolitan area, which is like Toronto, Hamilton, Mississauga, and a bunch of other places. We call that the Golden Horseshoe. So obviously, Toronto is one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive place to live in the Golden Horseshoe. But let's say you want to stay in the Golden Horseshoe. So you decide, hey, you know what? My place, my place of work decides to, or my, my place of work allows rather me to work from home permanently. I'm going to go and work from home in Hamilton because Hamilton is cheaper to live in than Toronto. Um, now, like I said, I've just pulled inspiration from this. This isn't actually what happened, but, um, what this article is talking about is how some, uh, some businesses will be taking a, uh, taking a bit of your pay, your salary out because you're working in a different place. So what that means is, is a lot of businesses, let's say they will normally pay you and these are made up numbers. Let's say they normally pay you $12 Canadian an hour, uh, for X job. But if they're in Toronto, they may pay you 14 because they realize, hey, Toronto is more expensive. So now that you're living in Hamilton, they might be kind of looking to say, hey, let's, you know, let's shave that $2 off. So again, just pulling inspiration from this, you know, thoughts, you know, is this fair? 
Uh, another point is, you know, companies are now potentially saving on office space and utilities and then, you know, salaries as well. Like, it, that, does that kind of seem a little ridiculous? And then also, if you're a staffer um, and make the decision to move, uh, to move somewhere, right, to try and save yourself a little extra money, so you're just making a financial decision, is it fair that your company may decide to take that money away from you now just because your cost of living has gone down? Now, with this being said, though, is this a two-way street? So like I said, if you worked in a big expensive city like Toronto, then generally, you know, they'll compensate you more to compensate for that increased cost of living. So I'll just kind of throw that to the floor, let you guys sort of tackle it, and I'll jump in as, uh, as need be. It sounds ridiculous to me, honestly. I think... Um, where where I live should not determine what you are paying me. If I was getting paid $14 before working at your company and I was going into the office and you were paying me $14, no matter where I decide to live, if I'm doing the same job, I should be making the same amount of money that I was going to make anyway. Yeah. I mean, if, at first in my head, I was like, this is bullshit. Right. Like that's the, when, when I saw this and I read this yesterday, uh, I was like, yeah, this, I mean, I know what's going to happen, but this is bullshit because everyone, if you're contributing to the company, whether you're in Toronto or whether you're in like Manitoba or whatever, like you're nowhere, you're not even anywhere close to Toronto, you're still contributing the same to the company. Um, But on the other hand, I could see there being a little bit of flexibility, like a tiny little bit, like 14 and 12 is a reasonable amount, but what, from what I understand, so let's say you're in Silicon Valley. If you're working in Silicon Valley, you should be expecting to start at like around the 100K mark. Like that should be, you know, minimum pretty much, uh, usually more. And I've heard ridiculous, like the, the salaries there are also, you know, a, you know, a regular developer will be making 250 no problem in mm-hmm. that area. And then you go out to a, another urban, like, like an, another urbanized city away from it. I don't even, I'm just trying to think, even like Austin, Texas, that's an also a big city, but you're making, you know, 100 is something that a regular developer makes. Those discrepancies seem ridiculous to me. Like that's, in my opinion, bullshit. And that's what should stop. I think everyone should, like all, peop- like all people of the skill that they're at should be valued at a certain number. If you're not going into an office, can there be like, again, a, cup, a, a dollar or $2 discrepancy for, I don't even know for what reason though, because like you said, Matt, companies are now going to be saving on office space. So why would they be paying you less? I don't know. It's a, it's a tough, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with, uh, I'm with you, Devante. I, it's bullshit. Yeah. I, I, I see why a company would want to do it. You know, a company is always going to, you know, do whatever it can to save money, but um, I, I just, I just don't agree with it. And actually this, um, I don't know what uh, Canadian company you guys from, but this is something that's actually a lot of talk online with Facebook. I don't know if y'all, actually seen that recently how they're going to try to they're going to uh be adjusting the salary of their remote employees that you know are kind of outside of silicon valley um just because you don't stay in uh, in in the valley um so and and there and there's a lot of opposition to you know facebook doing it uh so i i understand kind of i understand both sides but since i'm going to be you know, on the side with other workers, because I'm also a developer myself, I I would be very much against this. Because uh, the first thing an employment deal is, is a contract. And I've already signed the contract. So that whatever I signed on to make, that is what I should be making. 
no matter where I go. This actually goes back to the original point we made in the beginning where you kind of feel, you know, you kind of feel like you're forced to go into the office. Now you're kind of thinking, oh, I'm forced to live here as well. And so now it's sort of affecting your personal life. If something like Facebook, uh, which I believe is actually quoted in this article, again, please, please read the article and do your own research to the listener. But um, to me, it's to me, it's like, I, I agree with your contracts uh, statement. So if, if you, if they were hiring you, so let, let's hypothetically say Facebook wanted somebody new. So like, uh, I think Mike said 250 was a beginning developer and then a hundred thousand in, in uh, Austin, Texas. So I would say this, I would say that I think it's fair maybe to pay the guy in Austin, Texas less because of the, the, the cost of living. But I would say that only if they're hired like that, because you, at that time you apply to Facebook, you looked at the salary, you were happy with it, um, and then you signed the contract. I don't think it's fair that if you lived in, in Silicon Valley, they signed you at 250 for them to say, oh, you moved? Oh, well, like, we're going to pay you less. Because they are, you know, saving money, like I said, on the, on the salary, but now they're also saving money because you're not using a workstation, you're not using that electricity, you're not using their kitchen or whatever other things that they give you. And I actually think that this might be a side effect and, you know, you guys can tackle this as well is, is this a side effect of sort of this corporate cringe culture, if you will, where, oh, you're not, you know, you're not in Silicon Valley. You're not going to come to our, you know, our fun weekend activities for the office or our like mandatory bar nights or something. I don't, I'm not saying that Facebook has that. I don't know whether they do, but I know that some companies have, you know, you have to come to our bar night or you have to come to our to our, you know, we, we, we booked this hall, like come to our Christmas party. Like, what do you mean you have family, a family affair? Like you have to come here. Is this sort of them saying, oh, well, you're not going to, you know, jump, join in our fun activities. Well, that during your personal time, oh, well then, you know, here's less compensation. Like Facebook can afford it. That's the thing. Like they're, they're blatantly just slapping people in the face because obviously they can afford your salary. They're not oh, yeah. being affected by this in any way whatsoever. And they are, they were already paying people that amount of money. And then they're saying, because of cost of living, we're going to be paying you less. That's just, I don't know. And during but, a pandemic too, which is like, yeah. like, that's what I mean. Like if you signed a 250, you know, short of you changing position, uh, you absolutely should be being paid 250, even if you decide to move. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's probably just, a part of uh, a business culture in general, whoever's, whoever's the closer you get to the top, the more questionable the uh, decisions get to get to be around employees. Usually they, they're just going, they're just trying to find a way to save money um, as much as they can. Even though if you're not going into the office, you're already saving probably way more than the uh, differences in the pay. Well, Maybe okay, maybe not. We you know the hundred fifty, the two fifty to hundred k, you know, example for like a, a Facebook engineer. But you know, just generally, like in the the twelve to fourteen uh, dollar example that we mentioned earlier, they're like like you're. How much money is the company really going to be saving? And is that money that you're saving going to be worth the cost of morale in your in your employees? Cause I know, cause I know, cause I know if you cut my, you, you cut my salary, then my, my motivation has gone down yeah. and if I'm doing the same thing, especially. And usually whenever my motivation goes down, I'm going to find somewhere else. 
Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Like I, I don't, I mean, if you're struggling, if you're a struggling company and you need to cut salary across board, including the executives and stuff like that, just to survive for a couple months. And then, you know, yeah. with the, with the intention to eventually restore the salary, that's a kind of a different conversation. Yeah. But as a, you know, thriving company like Facebook and then Mark Zuckerberg goes out there and just zucks everyone. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't understand his, like you said, it's just corporate culture. Like it's just that business culture of we need like at a, at a high level, we don't look at people. We just look at the money and we don't care about the trickle down effect. We just want to save as much money as possible for our investors so that they can keep investing and making tons of money like that. That culture absolutely right. needs to stop as well. Like this is ridiculous. But. And I think I think I think a good way to look at it is at a certain level. Um a manager is going to be looking down or they're going to be looking up. And when I say looking down, they're going to be more focused on their actual employees, kind of more the, you know, day to day, how things are working, you know, what are we doing? And then once you get to a certain level, they're going to be looking up, meaning they're going to be looking at who's investing. What are, what is our stock doing? Uh, how much are we paying out like overall? So uh, I think it depends on, and you know, usually whoever's looking up usually has the most say, so the lower level managers are only going to, uh, you know, voice their opinions so much because they're going to feel like they're risking their own livelihoods. And um, once it gets to that point, that kind of fear of losing your livelihood, uh, most conversations stop at that point. So mm-hmm. the only the only point of, of contention I always get I, I get stuck on because like I'm with you guys. I'm like, hey, this is BS. Like, why are you cutting people's salaries, especially during a pandemic and all that? But it, it's almost like the local effect. So what I'll, I'll explain. So um, I live like right outside of the Golden Horseshoe. Maybe I'm even considered in there, but I'm in a small town right outside of Hamilton. And so the way I'm thinking is, you know, a bunch of us, a bunch of us that live here in this town, we went to school, public school here, which is elementary school, and then went to high school and then go to universities, do whatever. And then if you stay in this area, you kind of, a lot of us will go to Toronto. That's sort of like, hey, you know, come work in Toronto kind of thing. And a lot, and I've heard people say, you know, hey, the company should pay you more because because you live in you live in Toronto, and I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, you know, you're living in Toronto, you're you're living there essentially for them, and it's more expensive to you know for rent, uh, probably more expensive for a bunch of other things there as well, uh, and and certainly parking spots and stuff like that. Uh, so you know that is that is yeah, like the company should pay you more, but I just. I guess my point of contention is, is like, I'm getting the local effect where I'm like, is it fair if I were to move back, let's say I was working in Toronto for a while and I moved back here. I don't think it's fair to take my money away, but let's say I, let's say I was being paid the 14. So the 12 and the 14, let's say I, I, I moved to Toronto temporarily. I work there. I do it for, I do it for $14 an hour. You know, I I'm, I'm fine, whatever COVID hits or anything. And I, and I decide, man, I got to move back home. I got to, I don't know, help my parents or something. So I move back home. I come back to to my small town. I don't think it's fair to move to take to take the the fourteen to twelve. But what happens when I move positions? So let's say hypothetically, uh, managers get paid twenty dollars an hour in Toronto. When in you know everywhere else for this particular company example, they get paid eighteen. So let's say now I you know I've been working from home for a while. I'm working here permanently, and then they say, hey hey Matt, you're going to be promoted to a manager's position. Do I get promoted to the 20 or do I get promoted to the 18? I know that's like a, a complicated hiccup, 
but that's one like little catch because I'm trying to think as a as a manager and as a potential future employer myself, I'm like, I don't know because if I were hiring a manager straight out of this town, they would probably get 18, right? So like, where I don't know what's fair there. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's complicated or not for me. Um, like, is a company still based in Toronto that's paying $20? Yeah, if yeah. So, I'll say if so, then yes, I should be getting my twenty dollars as, as the same. That's fair. Yeah, like I mean, that's that's a fair stance because it's you know they they're they're still they've chosen to be there. It's not like they left Toronto or are looking for a cheaper office. They're still they're still working there or they're yeah. they're still like you know working and operating there. What what is your thoughts on that, Mike? So my thoughts is it should be profit based. Like it should be how much is this employee making you? If you can get that kind of number down, like it, we should change the way that we're paying employees in general, because it's a different environment right now, especially with COVID, especially with all the remote work, we can't use the same formula. It just doesn't work. Like, cause we're, there's still going to be a talent per like there's, there's still a talent level that's expected in those kinds of jobs, right? Cause the companies that are in Toronto aren't there because they want to pay more rent. They're there because they're at a certain level in their like thing and they want to be recognized at that level and they want to attract the best talent. That's why they're in Toronto. They want to attract the best talent because it's, it's, it's nice to live in Toronto for a lot of people, not everyone, but like a majority of people uh, would love to, you know, get paid a good amount and live in, in, live in a big city. But their point is we need the best talent. We need to have the best exposure. That's why they're there. So if they're there and they're making that kind of money to afford to be there, even if they were to move out of Toronto and move to some lower, you know, lower cost city, they should still be paying the amount that they would have paid to someone in Toronto if they're getting the same kind of exposure, if they're making the same kind of money. There's no, like, I, I understand it's a capitalist world and all that. Like, you got to make as much money as you can in a business. But I think we do need to move a little bit away from that. Like it can't be just about, like you can't just have a board meeting where you're just only talking about money. There has to be some other level of responsibility because it's just, it, it's going to get out of hand. And I mean, it already has gotten out of hand in a lot of different ways. I think you guys, I think you guys may have flipped me. I didn't think of, I was like, you're right. I was applying the old formula to it where I'm solely thinking salary is made up of skill and living, you know, where the person lives. But I never really thought of, Hey, you know, this company is in Toronto. And I never really thought of, you know, you know, damn this place, th these people made it. You know, They're not in this tiny town. They're not in this, you know, random city. They're in Toronto. Right. Look at this. They're an international company now or whatever. Right. Right. They, they're, they're definitely, they definitely achieved some level of prestige. Most likely that's why Facebook and Google, you know, and, all those uh, fame companies that we talk about are in California. They're not there just because. So they they definitely can cover those expenses. Yeah, you guys, you guys, that it's it's really hard to do, but you guys flip me for sure. I'm usually pretty pretty. Uh, I'm pretty like solid in my ways. Like, no, it's this way. But no, yeah, you guys definitely flip me 100. percent Because I didn't even consider that whole angle. I would. I was just thinking like, oh well you know, they're in Silicon Valley, of course, like they're a tech company, but like why they could move, they could buy a huge plot in a desert or something that's probably cheap as hell. And then just build out something there, you know? Okay. I think, yeah, I think Mike made a good point about how we need to kind of thinking about uh, compensation in general. Um, we uh, uh, just, I just lost it. I just lost my point, uh, man. I had it too. But uh, the main, the main thing is I think, I think we should kind of, Oh yeah, here it is. 
Um, I think, I think the way you were thinking is kind of how most people are like programmed to think they always want to put the, put the onus on the employee and kind of give the, you know, employer the benefit of the doubt, you know, they're just a company. They're just going to do what every company does, but people run these companies. So we can't just think of it as like some uh, monolithic, uh, you know, amoral entity. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like, certainly there's there's a whole bunch of people making the decisions but at the end of the day it is just people it's not an ai or something crazy making these decisions or it isn't a bunch of laws or something that is solely moving their decision around it's it's absolutely a, an opinion depending on the size of the company or um, or several opinions but they're all just people and so you know realistically we should all just probably treat each other like fairly and normally you would think but yeah you're right like it's not just a it's not just like the tax machine or something where you're just like you know going through the filings that you know kind of robotic like as we all do when we do our income tax like oh like you know what did i make here find these forms and do this it's not just like a procedure it's actually something where someone has to think you know what i think we should pay our employees less like someone probably brought that up in the in in the room like let's let's cut employees salaries and then you're like whoa that's a pretty like what's going on here? And then slowly but surely that that idea grew. And then for some companies, it might become a reality. For some employees, it might become a reality. So um, I think I think that really concludes it. I think that was a great episode, honestly. Um, and uh, I really uh, I really enjoyed you uh, coming on, Devante. And um, I like I'd like to offer you the floor now to you know, any links, projects, social media is anything anyone can, uh, you know, follow you on or anything you want to give a shout out to. I know you already gave some, but, uh, anything you want to give a shout out to, you know, you have the floor, please take it away. Um, I don't know. I guess that's my com- my current company, uh, the ABA, because they, like I said, they do empower me. I've got a couple of friends. I got, uh, uh, they're all in the uh, tech industry, Mike, Jade, Keith, Ashley. Um, they are all very good at what they do. Um, they're in, we're all in different areas of uh, tech, but we, that's how I met them at my last job. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Vontae Jamal, uh, V-O-N-T-A-J-A-M-A-L. And uh, I think, I think, uh, I think that's, that's all I got right now until, until next time when I got my, when I got some more of my stuff together. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thank you for, uh, for coming on. This has been a great time. And uh, Mike and uh, I was gonna say Mike and I thank you, but we've already thanked you. So thank you again, apparently. And um, we'll hopefully thank have you, you on. What's that, Mike? Oh no, that was me. I said oh, I said no. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. No worries. And uh, yeah, so uh, that concludes uh, this call. Hope you hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll have you back on when uh, you started up your uh, your little side hustle there that you were mentioning. So. Oh, definitely. I'll be back. <laughs> Thanks, Devante. Well, we hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as we did. But before we say goodbye, remember that we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. So check out the tiers and give that a go. And of course, last but not least, we have to thank our $3 tier patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrett from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. And DL Ford from dlford.io.
Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you're listening to this on, and I'm going to let our new outro sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.